I, I think you're underselling yourself. Yeah. Well, I know your drive, so I, I think you'd have always made it happen, basically, because you've got that drive. So it wouldn't be after a pay rise. Yeah. <laughs> you don't just build a company that does 10 million after 10 years just no. by chance. Like, I can remember one day I had a young lad who was best thing since sliced bread. I'm a brilliant lad. He's really, really good. One of the best lads we've ever had. Two weeks later, we saw him walking out of the drive. I always wanted to get that second machine. The quicker you can get to that second machine, is this, if anybody who's ever going to start a laser coin company up, you've got to get to that machine number two. Someone comes along and offers whatever for this company. The employees who are working for the company at that point will get a percentage of 75% of whatever it's sold for. So it doesn't mean you're going to get paid off and then lose your job because someone's going to buy a company and they still want you to do the job. So it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a lot of people here because you can get a big payoff. The work-life balance. I think anybody who says you've got that work-life balance in the first two or three years, you're kidding yourselves. You know, you just flat out all the time. At the moment, it's manual, so they have to do it with forklifts and stuff. So we're probably going to gain about 30% efficiency. So the, the actual CAD guys will be able to run the laser from the, from the CAD office. You will actually need an operator there. I think there's a lot to be taken from manufacturing in the UK at the minute because obviously yeah, you're having a difficulty getting stuff in from abroad. Everyone's chasing this how fast can we cut stuff when realistically what we should be doing is how efficiently can you cut it. Hi guys, it's Pete and Matt. How you doing? I'm good, yeah. Yeah, we haven't got Mike this week. He's um, he's been relegated to doing some proper work. Spending too much time in the gym, isn't he? So uh, <laughs> something like that. We're um, we're joined by Daryl and Danny of FC Laser. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Thank you very much. Sorry, it's taken the best part of 44 minutes yes, to get yes, all the equipment. <laughs> so we'll start cracking straight on. Um, Danny, can you just give us a bit? Bit of insight into what your background was before FC Laser was founded. If you how far back did we go? Well, not to when you were yeah. born, maybe. So, I've been an engineer since I left school, so I'm a time surf sheet metal worker. Well, both myself and Dale got the same path, really, haven't we? So mm. both time served as an apprentice, then went on to start doing a couple of supervisory roles in the early days. I think the first supervisory job. I had was a team leader where I took over from Daryl. Daryl moved up the ladder at a company and I, I took over his position. Then it was just sort of like going through the motions really, get from one from a, to a supervisor to a manager. And then I ended up at uh, one of our competitors where it all started, so at Lazy Shape. How long were you with them? Uh, I had seven years at Shape, seven good years. I learned a lot from uh, a lot of good people. So, you know, I've got a lot of respect for some of the guys who still work at Shape, you know, Dave Ainty, known Dave for a long time now. You say, you say some, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> there's, always, there's always some, you know, you don't want to talk about. No, but, you know, you've had some good times at Shape, you know, and take a lot from the time there. We helped take the business from sort of like one and a half, two million, up to, I think when I left, it was sort of like teetering on around five and a half, six million turnover. When I left Shape, I had two, I had to have two years out of the industry. And then uh, I set up an estate agent. So now a bit off the cuff, but away you go. It's uh, an, an online estate agent with a mate of mine. Just to buy my time, I decided to start FC Laser. You still got that? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
So it was a good idea. It was a bit like a, pu a purple brick type. Of, you know, that was the setup. It, we just couldn't get the funding to take it to the next level. So we had the idea, and then purple bricks came along and raised about nine million overnight, and that was the end of that. So away. We you mentioned that you obviously know Daryl. I didn't realise you've known yeah. Daryl for like twenty years. Twenty years. Yeah. Yeah. So have you kind of like kept in contact through the whole time of your careers? What was there? Well, that's actually. When I was at Shade, we had another business called Jetblades, which was a machining aerospace company. And Daryl came. I knew what, having worked with Daryl and seen Daryl work in various roles, I knew there was a, a job, he could come and do a job for us at Jetblades. Because other than working in aerospace as a sheet metal worker, we didn't have no real background about the accreditations and things like that. So we took uh, Daryl joined us along with another guy who actually still works for me, just to sort of like, get her teeth into the aerospace industry. So, um, i say that was 15 years ago, probably. Uh, I mean, we've been here nine, yeah. 10, 11, yeah, probably yeah, 12, yeah, 13 years 13. ago. So, so Daryl had a stimuli there. It was a sort of like, after about a year is when I left shape. I think that's when you went back to Royce's, yeah, didn't you? Yeah. When, when I left, so, um, he jumped ship. He's <laughs> followed you around a little bit then. Uh, I won't say he's followed me around. I've tried to entice him to come and work for us, you know, on a few occasions. Um, I think it's all the same when you're starting now in business. You know, when we first started FC Laser, it's it's a big jump. Somebody comes and join a, a fledgling business. So um, you know, at the time, there wasn't it wasn't the time wasn't right at the start yeah, of the business for Dale. Yeah, I think at the time I had my first kid, so I didn't want to take the risk of doing it. And then I think the second time I just had my second kid. And then, well, two and a half years ago, I don't know, I got to the point where brilliant offer from, from Danny, wanted to come work here really. I was up for a new challenge and I was getting a bit bored of the job I was doing, so glad I came. Yeah, I think it's, um, I know when I was trying to set up Compton Group with Mike, because he wouldn't have come, it was, it's one of these where it's almost, it's the right point in your life, isn't it? Yeah. And when I was trying to coax him, I literally named the company before we'd even started, so his name was in it. And I was like, look, mate, in a couple of years when I'm caked mm. and your name, and he was like, no, I've got to join. Yeah. yeah. Just had got no choice in the end. Mm. You almost, it's got to be right for you, hasn't it, really? And you, and you probably found, Danny, that, you know, when your company's that little bit younger and it's a bit more hand-to-mouth and you're looking at the financials and things and thinking, oh, it's going all right, but, you know, we only need two or three bad months or, you know, one bad debt and it's my mate. Yeah. And I don't really yeah. want to bring him in if I'm not 100% sure. So it's, I think it can be a tough one. To be fair, that's it works a lot both ways, really, because you are watching the, the, the pennies, the pennies, and you think you know, you know what sort of salary people are earning, and to add that salary in, you've got to add add the salaries in at the right time, yeah. Because you know it can be detrimental to what the business where you're going. Like say you have two or three bad months, and you've got someone there who's earning, you know, some yeah, It's like you know, it's a tipping point, and I think the key is when you start in a business is that when we started FC ad. I looked at the picture upstairs, there's seven of us when we started. Five of the team are still here, that initial seven. There were people who, one of them uh, was one of my best, was one of my best mates, he still works here. Uh, another guy I'd worked with who, I was his apprentice for a bit when I worked at Paul Fabs. He still works in part of the, part of the company. So it's people who'd worked for me in different times as well, not necessarily just laser shape. Um, so we sort of like set up 
a lot of companies do probably set up off the back of another company, if that makes sense. But I, I didn't tend to do that. You know, I knew people who was at shape, but it was a massive jump for them to come because Levis Laser Shape were flying, you know, sort of like doing seven, eight million at the time. So a real big player in, in the industry. And to come to somebody who's got one machine, you know, you're not going to go try and get the top salesperson to come and join you because, like Dow just said, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a risk to take. So we had, as I say, seven people. We had, I did a bit of sales. We also like, did a bit of everything. I was running the machine. I was on the press. When we got a press, we had a 20-year-old press, I think it was, when we, when we first set off. But it was good times. You know, we had some good fun together. You know, it's nice, close-knit. And how it started, you know, I was, what I was wanting to do is probably get to the stage where I always had it in my head. If I get two machines, you know, turn over sort of like one and a half, two million, I'll be happy. You know, nice, get a nice house, pay my mortgage sort of thing, happy days. And then there we are now, four machines, 80, 83 people. And hopefully going to do 10 million in a 10th year next year. So that's, that's, that's the aim. So it's sort of like evolved to somewhere where I never wanted it, not necessarily wanted it to get to, but I never thought it would get to that sort of level. So what were you kind of, got? I mean, you've kind of touched on it there, but did you have any kind of goals that were bigger than that kind of, I'll oh, just have a couple of machines, get to two minutes? Did, did you think, you know, because there's, there's kind of saying, oh, well, oh, I want to get to that. But there's also the bit of you that's had the balls to do it. Yeah. That's also like in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I can really do this. Yeah. You know, and it, yeah, it'd be nice to get to that level, but you must have had an idea that you were thinking, well, can probably do a bit better than that. Like if we really get it right, you know. I, I think yeah, everyone saw like session day. The first twelve months in any business is the critical time. You know, we had a, a real good. I had one customer when we started, and they gave us you know, a fair amount of work. And after when we sort of like set the team up, people came to give us a go. We had one company who probably took half the capacity of the machine for the first three months. So that's like music trees. You got a small team. You're not working 24 seven, you're working eight hour, nine hour shifts, or you're doubling back up at, at night. So one of us would stay during the day, somebody come back and do a night shift, somebody be working the weekend. So, so everybody asked to muck in and do a bit of everything. And it's really good. So I think as we went on, the business grew, people actually wanted to come work for us. And that's, that was the turning point, I think, when you go, actually, yeah, we could take this to the next level. You know, we're at a million, we're at a million and a half, we're at two, got two machines. Two machines ain't enough, you're doing 24 hours a day, then you gotta do 24 seven. So it just sort of like evolved. It just grew itself, I think, more than anything. I think we did, I always try and say, like, you know, anyone who says they do everything right all the time, you know, they're not telling the truth at all. You know, we make mistakes like every other business in the country makes mistakes. It's just about making sure that you get your customers, you treat your customers right. If you are gonna late, it's, be truthful, you know, if you can't do a job, I always say, don't take a job on, but you know you can't do, because you need one person to give you that bad name, say, oh, you know, FC Lazy said they're gonna promise this and then they let you down. So we try not, you know, I enforce, we don't try and do that. So I just think we've grown naturally ourselves, really, so. I, I think you're underselling yourself. Yeah. Well, I know your drive, so I, I think you'd have always made it happen, basically. Because you've got that drive. So it wouldn't after a pay Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 even from, from day yeah, one. Yeah, talk about it from the outside because you've known him a long time now. Yeah. So you're looking and seeing what he's doing. Yeah. Like, you know, what are your thoughts as someone who's now on the inside? But as an outsider at that point, you're looking and thinking, well, how's he done it? Why has he done it? How well, did he make it happen? I know how he's done it because he's 
he's got the drive and he makes the right decisions at the right point and he brings in the right the right people when he needs them. So you know, I I knew when he was setting this up because I did a bit of IT stuff yeah. for him just just to help out. I knew it would be a success, but I still ideally if I'd have had my first child, I'd probably come along. But yeah, I think I think Danny's doing underselling himself with his, his drive and his commitment. So it doesn't just you don't just Build a company. Yeah, you don't you don't just build a company that does ten million after ten years just oh. by chance. You've got to have that that drive. People, some people have got it. You know, I I look at myself and I'm good at certain things, but I couldn't own my own company and drive it and have that determination to do the things that, that Danny's done. I think I've always, not, I've, not many people can. I think. Cheers, mate. Appreciate that. No, I'm just <laughs> I, I do I do think what I've always I've always said it's all about uh, the good the team you put around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I've got real good assets I can bring to the but there's other people who brought things along the time some of you aren't here who are no longer with us so it's just about making sure you've got the right team around you who, who are good at what they do you haven't got to be good at everything just what they do make sure they're, they're really really good at it and I think that's what I probably agree with what Dow said I've always managed to get the, the right people now the first two years the team who wanted to jump there was brilliant what we had because I had everybody who could do everything they could run a machine they could, like I said, go on the press. We can't always build a business. It's good to have people like that, good all-rounders. Then you need, obviously, your specialists in your different areas. So that's the team of seven and where the five is still here. That sort of like was the foundation to move it on in a long time. You know, over the time, then we start pick and choose because it got to the point where when it was two years in, people were thinking, actually, FC Lays might be here to stay for a bit now, so it's not so much of a risk. So you, you become an easier... It becomes easy for you to recruit people. Well, that's something I was going to sort of go into about like your team and the loyalty of staff. Because I've been doing the recruitment for the industry for about three years now, and I've still yet to come across somebody from FC Laser who's looking for a move. Yeah. And also coming across a lot of people and people I speak to that want to come and work here. I mean, it's a it's a competitive market, especially in this area. I mean, you know, there's probably you probably name five or six that are within a close area. So what what is it that makes the difference that makes you different from these other companies? I, I think as a business, we've, we've had three spells. Well, the first two, three years, no one, you know, we have the retention staff was really, really good. We got to that sort of three, four million turnover. And then when we moved factory, we moved over to Draycott. So that was the, the first major move. We sort of like a bit of a rocky patch at that point. Only because I think we had a real big growth spurt when we went over there. So you sort of like, you're bringing people in. I've always brought a lot of people in over now, you know, off these I went to school with, or so sort of like they've got my back and they've, or they've worked for me at previous places. So, you know, we had a bit of a time where we had to probably panic to get people on machines. And I don't think it was any fault with the people who actually came, but I, don't, I think we had a spell where we probably didn't, as a business, we probably the training aspect wasn't right. So, I can remember one day I had a young lad who was best thing since sliced bread. I had a brilliant lad, he's really, really good. One of the best lads we've ever had. Two weeks later, we saw him walking out of the drive. I'm like, what's going on? Where's he going? So like, I went down and thought, he's bloody useless, you know, he's, he's had to go. And I said, young lad, he's only a young lad. I saw him walking out and shaking his head and I thought, nah, that ain't happening again. Might have been somebody walk out of here, sort of like, how can you go from being the best lad one week to the following week you know good says we're, we're doing something wrong so it prompted me I got all the 
the supervisor and says, yeah, what's gone off? And we had a bit of a team meeting about it. So that's when we, you know, we've always tried, you know, we brought apprentices on over the years. Jack was our first apprentice. He's still here now. He's been here with us nine years nearly. So we just really focused on making sure that the people who we brought in, they knew exactly what we wanted them to do, what our, what the, their job was, what we expected of them. And I think even now, now we try and really get home now, but everyone knows exactly what we want them to do. Yeah. There's no grey areas, the, the job descriptions, things like that, you know, and that's, that's what we really pride ourselves on now is making sure everyone gets a fair crack of the whip. That they come in, they do a good job, they've got the right, they've got the best tools in the industry to do the job. So, and that's, as long as, as a business, we offer the support and the training. Uh, I, think, I think that makes people feel a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I mean, this, this environment, if you walk around here, as a, as a factory goes, this is a pretty clean, nice environment, open space. Yeah, we try and make sure people have got the overalls, the right tools they need, all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, I don't know, I've heard stories about Draycott, which yeah, is probably yeah. a lot darker. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't the best place. Not the best place. So that might have impacted the, the staff retention, but... I think a lot of people, because I do a lot of interviews, a lot of people come around here, you know, really impressed by the factory and stuff. So it does make a difference in terms of you, you know, your working environment. If we just roll back briefly, because as you're touching on here, Daryl, yeah, it looks great. It's obviously a great place to work, as Matt's alluded to. People want to come and work here, so you're obviously doing something right. If we roll back to maybe the wobbly years, like year three and maybe the early years as well. There'll be people listening to this who, similar to yourself, when obviously at SC you decided, right, I want to do my own thing now, which is fair enough. You know, I know it can be frustrating for other businesses because they lose someone. Yeah. You might attack a bit of their business and that's obviously why you had to get out of the industry for two yeah. years to give them the fair, fair crack of the whip really before you start. But talk to us about the early days because you're ram full of equipment here, worth millions of pounds. So now it's a lot e it's a lot harder in some respects, but it's a lot easier in other respects because you've got all the right capital equipment, the right people, the right training, everything's in place. But early doors, you haven't got all the best equipment, you haven't got the best credit, you haven't got loads of money in the bank, you know. So you've got all of those factors. You know, how did you how did you juggle that period of time to start with to get to that third year, and then talk us through like why that wobble happened and what you learned from it. I think. I've had a lot of support, you know, when, when we first started, it was difficult to, I went all the way around Europe trying to beg, borrow money from wherever I could, sold things uh, to raise. At that point, the bank sort of like did a enterprise, a finance enterprise guarantee. So they'd match you pound for pound at the time. We needed about a quarter of a million. So I had to sort of like find at least 120. That was just to buy a machine and get a little bit of money in the bank to start. So, we invoiced this. We did invoice discounting. We've always done in, invoice discounting, so that was a a bonus because obviously you, you've got cash readily available. Yeah. Bastronic were, were brilliant for it at the start. You know they took a pump. You know again, I know they got the the bonus. They can have the machine back, but they did everything they could to help us to help me. So Dave Larkin, who was the MD at the time, you know really went uh, you know an extra mile to to get me a machine in here along with the. Deutsche leasing at the time, and we used Lombard as well. So, you know, I had a lot of support early days from Bastronic, you know, and, and we're very grateful to Dave. I think then it was just a matter of, you know, it was difficult getting steel. You know, some people just did not want to work with us. Well, not work with us, but, you know, you couldn't get credit. 
So they, that, the first six months was difficult. We had one supplier who was really, really good, gave us credit limit straight away from day one. But I think a lot of, some suppliers had a lot of faith because they knew me from, obviously, my time at Laser Shape. So I think they knew it weren't just somebody setting up on the back of a whim. I was a, I was a director at Shape. You know, I had a bit, of, a bit of influence there and I was quite well known at the time. So I think that helped with some aspects of it. But the other companies, you know, they just didn't want to, they wouldn't touch us with the barge pole. Fast forward 12 months and that was a different story because I think, you know, they see, uh, like I said earlier, you're still in the game. You got past that little bit of a, little bit of an opportunity where something could go wrong. You might not get the customers you think you're going to get. So then it, the market opened up a bit because people then wanted to supply us. Well, they can see your books then, can't yeah. they? And they look at what your forward orders and stuff yeah. and it's like, oh, actually, yeah. So it was really, that first 12 months was, was a, bit of a, a bit of a blur really because obviously I was working on the machine. Yeah, I've got the photo upstairs, I've got a suit on, I haven't had a suit on since then, mm. I think, since that photo. So it's like you, you go and you, you're just constantly looking for the next thing to, to pick up. You've got, how do you, how do you grow? So we, we had people, I mean, at the time, my wife wasn't working at the business. She lost her job, she worked for the airport. So she came, helped out doing the accounts and things. We took a couple of girls on who worked with her. I had no experience, they'd never seen a laser. Didn't know anything about it. They went in sales because that aspect was too busy. So at that point, we had like a team of about 11, 12. I think there's only three of us who had any actual laser experience. Everybody else was like new to the industry. So it's just that time, it just, it just took off. And I don't know, I think the time was just right. It just everything seemed to click into place to the point where we bought a second machine in the second year. So I think we had the fibre that was brought in the October 2013 because there was a need for it. We, you know, it was working one machine flat out and that is the most critical time when you're starting out in business. It's a bit like we've got the tube at the moment. You know, you've got one machine. If that machine goes down, you're not putting any product. So I always wanted to get that second machine. The quicker you can get to that second machine, is this, if anybody who's ever going to start a laser coin company up, you've got to get to that machine number two. It's, I know a lot of people have said to me, well, you need to utilise the hours that machine's got, but you can't replace them hours. If that machine goes down, all we do is sell time. Yeah, right? And they sell that. Yeah. So, you know, you can't get time back. You know, once that time's gone, you're not, you're not yeah. bringing it back. It's history, as they say. So that, to me, was really important when we got to that second machine. That second machine came and then was actually over the... That's where we started off over... Which came in, there's a factory there, that's where there's the first factory. We grew that, I grew that, then we moved to Draycott. The move probably took more out of business at that point than what I anticipated. It was, it was chaos. We sort of like jumped. I wanted to buy this building. The bank wouldn't support me at that time to, to buy it. So we couldn't, we had to move on somewhere, but we needed somewhere quick. So we sort of like made a, a bit of a knee jerk reaction. If I'm to be honest, if looking back now and saying hindsight, what wouldn't I do? I wouldn't have moved. I'd have probably held ground and waited a little bit longer. But we moved, it doubled the, the factory in size. It wasn't an ideal fit. We've got the two machines in. At that point, we had new press brakes. It just took a lot out of the time, but the business just boomed over that period. We had a new guy, a new sales manager start at the time. It was, like I said, everything just rocketed. So it was sort of like, I said earlier, you're bringing people in. 
right, you need you on there. People again, no experience on machines. So you're trying to train people up whilst you've got a full order, full order book. So you're sort of like running before you can walk. So we did make you know, a decision, but we slowed down a little bit, just for about a three, four month period, just to get moved in, settle, settle you know, clear the decks, make sure everything's okay, and just move on from there. Well, I think that's that's the key thing, isn't it? Sometimes, because I'm guessing what were you before you did that three month, four month slowdown? What what were your hours like? My hours. Yeah. First, when, the thing is, when you've got your own business, you sort of everyone says, "Oh, you're working twenty four You do and you don't. You know, you know, you, you do have downtime, but obviously you're thinking about. But it's just everything's ticking off because at that point I was sort of like running production. You get a phone call at eleven o'clock at night. You know, the machine's gone down. What do you want me to do? And shall we do this? Shall we do the other? So it is, it's full on, you know, and you, the machine's gone down, you're letting a customer down, which is you don't, you know, you don't want to be doing that. So it's, it is, it's hard work, you know, I think one thing I have learned is that, you know, obviously some of the dates we've come over, the work-life balance, I think anybody who says you've got that work-life balance in the first two or three years, you're kidding yourselves, you know, you just flat out all the time, doing one thing or another, you know, you might be delivering, you deliver driver one day, Next day on the phone, selling stuff, what's it on the machine? So you've just got. I always say you get out what you put in, in life in general. So I've worked hard. So I think you know we're reaping the benefits now. But like I said, but a, a real, real good team around me all the time. Some of them are here. Some of them have moved on to other businesses now. But like I say, everybody who's ever worked for me have always added some. I've added the benefit to the business in one way or another. This podcast is sponsored by the UK Metals Expo. You love that, don't you? <laughs> the smile on your face. <laughs> what did your voice change? Because it's an advert. I don't know. It's to break up the podcast so that when you hear it, you're like, oh, right, okay, this is an advert. Just get them things that kids have. Do, 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 do. This is an advert. I put, I put a sound effect in front anyway. I'll do, yeah. Fair enough. Right. This pod's going out Tuesday. We recorded this Friday, the day after the expo. What yep. did you think about the Expo, Mike? Yeah, it was really good. Really Why? good. Why was it well, good? Well, I think probably like, I mean, many people were concerned about was the foot flow, people coming in, having the right people in the event, people who, you know, are going to bring a benefit to the people who've spent money as an exhibitor. And that got ticked, didn't it? You know, if you day one was certainly a really, really busy day. And day two, again, was, was a busy day. Um and I think they've done really well to get that off the ground. It's not easy. And I think to get, you know, when you look at the stockholders who are exhibiting, you know, there's a lot of people who specialise in different types of industry sectors, oil and gas, nuclear. Um, you had people who are, you know, in the hygienic, petrochem, commodity stuff, just people selling, you know, just stainless steel aluminiums into just sheet metal workers. So to appeal to a wide variety of distributors in the UK and to make them happy is a challenge and I, you know from the people I spoke to over the two days they felt that they got value out of it so yeah 13th and 14th of September, September 2023 yeah yeah is so is year two it's going ahead yeah um, get yourself down there Look, one, the one thing I wanted to add was the there was over 60 speakers I think it was between 60 and 100 I don't even know the, the exact figures but the speaker arrangements were in the hall which I think is quite nice because it brings a bit more flow to, you know, you're not just sat in one corner and you're not necessarily getting the traffic. So I think that really helped. But also the quality of the, the, the debate was good. 
most people were talking about how good the conversations that they were having. And I think it's because it's uniquely a metal event. So, But also, it wasn't people who were speaking. It just because they had a stand, they were able to talk. It was There was value added to both people who were exhibiting and people who were attending. And the conversations were relevant for what's going on in the industry sector at the moment. And that's, and that's you know, kudos to Jason. Yeah, fair play. From next week, we'll have normal adverts rather than um, saying well done, but well done. Well done, Jason. Top work. Yeah, and Chris. Let's get back to the pod. Not Michael. The company's grown. I mean, you've said it here. It's grown rapidly. You say you're on 83 now. Is it... Has it been in the last couple of years that it's really ramped up again? Like when when did you, or has it been consistent over that period? The last two years have been it's been a massive, massive increase in, in staff. So Daryl, because obviously you've been here the last couple of years now, and you you mentioned earlier about getting more involved in the recruitment. Has it been easy for you to recruit? No, I would say not, because I in, even on the lasers and the depressors to some extent you can train people there are jobs that you can train people so for me it's more looking at what the kind of person so have they got some manufacturing background but also have they got the right behaviors the right personality are they going to fit into the team are they going to be reliable have i got the right work ethic so that's what i tend to look for not just saying have they got 25 years on the press um so different roles are different but to get the right people, it is, it is difficult, I think. So there's obviously changes that we spoke about before we did the podcast, obviously with your own positions and that, things moving around. But how, what have you, because obviously you worked at Rolls for a long, long time, really big corporate Bluetooth yeah. company. You know, what have you tried to do with regard to FC? Because you've come in when they were, what, seven and a half years old or something. Has there been quite a few changes that you've brought over from that's what I'm asking you. Uh, yeah, I would say yes. I think you know, I, I potentially could have come when it first started, but actually, I'm a lot more experienced, a lot better than I, now than I was then. So I actually think it's probably a bit more of a better for the company now. So a lot of since I've come in, a lot of times, and I did a presentation after about the first month to people. I tend to just ask people why they do it a certain way. So, you know, voice look like that. That's yeah. Fine. <laughs> so, well, that's that was a ten a lot. That was the answer I tended to get in the first month, first two months. There was a lot of, I would say, manual, handwritten. So you you love your tea cards and whiteboards, handwritten type stuff. So I've tried to change some of the processes, make it a bit more electronic. So we've got information on the shared drive. We've got dashboards, all this kind of stuff. But a lot of my role, I see my role as I want to improve the business by improving the people. So if I can improve the people, the business will improve. And that's what I try and do. Try and coach people, ask questions, challenge how we operate. I think that's a different so, mindset between sort of like working in a big organisation like Voices mm-hmm. to working somewhere. It's like joking apart, when Dow did first start, the, the, the answer would be, we've always done like that. And that's why you need to be people in with fresh ideas because we had always done it like that because that's how I set it up. Now I'm not saying it was wrong, but it was at the level and to get it to the next level, we need to change things. Mm. So again, that was why Darrell was brought in, you know, to, yeah. to, to take 
that emphasis of we've always done it like that, bring some fresh ideas in. Yeah, you know, it's like being a new sales manager and you know, you want them to bring some, you ain't got to bring a, a load of customers with them. Just bring, nice though, isn't it? It's nice, yeah. <laughs> just bring some fresh ideas. Yeah. There's something different what, because Daryl said this quite a lot, if we do, if we do everything the same this year, in the next 12 months, sorry, we're not going to get any better. We're yeah. going to be the same. I can't remember. It's a famous saying, if you, if you keep doing what you did yesterday, it's, you're not going to change anything going forward. So I'm always trying to challenge people. How do we come in every day and improve every single day? If everybody does that, we'll get better and better and we'll make more money. And especially when you, you know, we're all part of an EOT, so it's everybody's advantage to do that. And so, yeah, I think for me as well, I was, I was fortunate that because I knew Dan before, I could actually come in and potentially change stuff. I think there was probably a bit of, because people who worked for you a long time, yeah. there was not fear factor, but because you said, this is how we're going to do it. A lot of people like, that's how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. When I, at least I had that relationship with Dan that I could challenge the way things were done and, you know, we change things. Well, talk to us, you laid nicely in, so it talks to us about the, and I'm using the wrong terminology here, so forgive me, but it's almost like a, a, a shared ownership or what, how, how does it work? Talk to us about what you've done and then after you've talked about what you've done, then can you tell me the kind of thought process behind it and the why? So, any business owner realistically is looking for an exit plan. So, there's a strategic plan, but are you going to do, you know, when you're 65, are you going to, are you going to leave the business? So, over the last couple of years, I've had a few nice inquiries about selling the business, but I didn't just want to sell the business and then sort of like, drive off into the sunset you know we've got a lot of good people here and then I was talking to another friend of mine he actually did a an EOT so an employee ownership trust so basically you sell the the business to the employees it doesn't cost the employees anything it's uh, they get obviously and then the owner gets paid off over a certain amount of time and then the employees own the business trying to get that over to everybody has been difficult but they actually own the business because we had a presentation in me last year, we had a bit of a get together yeah. with everybody and to explain to it, it's like, you know, what's getting off here? This, this guy's just giving us the business. It's like, what's, so it yeah. took a while to sink in. I still don't think it is. No. It's actually sunk in. To, well, t- to t- tell everybody. us then, how does it work? How does it work? I see, right, I'm working for you now. So yeah. I so, own this business. So I, I, yeah, when I do interview people, I explain about the EOT. The fact is that over the next five to seven years, the employees will buy 75% of the company off Danny and Lisa, but they don't pay for it out of their own pockets, it's paid for by the profit the company makes. As long as the, co- the company makes the right amount of profit to buy the company, in five years, seven years time, the employees will own 75% of the company. So what that means is any profit the company makes at that point, you can potentially split between, you know, Danny and Lisa, 25%, the employees, 75%. So as part of the EOT as well, the advantage is you can actually pay so if we we could pay up to three thousand six hundred pound a year tax-free to every employee if you, you can pay more than that but three thousand six hundred would, would be tax-free so there's to me there's a massive opportunity for everybody you know if if in a seven years time or ten years time whatever as a business we're gonna offer, someone comes along and offers whatever for this company the employees who are working for the company at that point will get a percentage of 75 percent of whatever it's sold for so it doesn't mean you're going to get paid off and then lose your job because someone's going to buy a company and they still want you to do the job. So 
it's a once in a lifetime opportunity for a lot of people here because you can get a big payoff, which will either help you buy a house, pay off a house, retire. Have you had uh, you had any staff asking to sell their shares or anything like you that? You can't sell your shares. You don't own any shares. So what, the only Is way you can I share. No, right. so the only way you're going to benefit. So you can benefit if if you're here and we pay out um, a bonus, a dividend almost. Yeah. So yeah. So it's a bonus. So no matter what role you do in the company, it's the same bonus for everybody. So you know, it doesn't matter how well paid you are, what job you do, it's the same for everybody. Well, let's be honest, if someone going for 3,600 quid a year, pays for an old solid, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, Every yeah, year, yeah, yeah. just for doing your job. Yeah. yeah. It's five and a half, six grand, is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, to yeah. anyone else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it. And, and the thing today, we've been, this last three years, the retention has been, the staff retention has been really good. Um, so, I know why that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this is sort of like, what sort of like made my decision what I wanted to do because I still want this business to be here in 10, 15 years time. But without the staff being reliable, you know, reliable staff and staff who know what, who are good at the jobs, it's, it's going to be more more difficult. So the best way is let's tie them all in. Yeah, you know, tie the people in who work here to the business. So now the part of it, so every job that's scrapped, that's not just affecting my bonus that's actually affecting the old company so this is the thing now so can we nest things better can we buy things better do we need a pair of goggles every day do we need a pair of gloves every day do we need you know so it's just making people think and you know we're big into this ideal team player we like to think of so you know everyone has to take accountability but it's not just about the managers it's everybody's got a role to play in the business and that's why I'm, you know I've come from the shop floor worked my way up and everyone needs everybody it's not just about sales it's not just about the production staff with no sales the production team haven't got nothing to cut without production team and sales team the accounts haven't got anything the guys on the press haven't got anything to fold so we all need each other you know to, to make the end goal which is to get the product to the customer and hopefully right first time and deliver on time so that to me was the main sort of like turning point okay I can sell it but what could it do make everybody else feel part of it as well? So that's how the EOT came about. So there's only, is it 500 companies in the UK? That, yeah. That I think there's hardly any, yeah. is it really? In the, in the Midlands, it's really, there's are not any at all. Are there any other the laser cutting companies? So, or? No, I don't believe so, no. Yeah. I mean, so oh. we, we, we've got a couple, there's one customer of ours and they, um, when they obviously heard the announcement, it was like, they got in touch with the company who'd done that. It's like, you know, and some of the people talking and turning to the sales guy says, it's the best thing that's ever happened to us since we since we since we became an EOT company. You know, everyone's view has changed. And I think it's the view of responsibility what everybody else does because they only come to work. I'm a big believer. Nobody comes to work to do a bad job. We all have bad days, and you know you have bad days and good days. And you know sometimes you come in, you had an argument with the other half, and you, you kick the cat on the way out, sort of thing. I just think now nah, it's like you come to work and you look sort of like release. Say you you've, with people you're with eight. 12 hours a day, you know, we work 12, some of the guys on here for 12 hour shifts. So it's all like a release when you come to work. So sometimes you you come to work and have a bit of a moan at your mates because you can't moan at the wife or whoever back at home, can you? Mm. So I just think you've got to enjoy time when you're at work. And that's a big thing for me is that when you're here, we all do a good job. Nobody makes a mistake on purpose. And I've always said, if we do anything, always just be honest, 
why we made that mistake because then if we can do something about yeah, it. No one gets a hard time if they make mistakes, but it's trying to educate people that, because obviously at first I think, I don't get it, why would anybody give potentially 75% of the business away and why can we buy it without putting any money in? So that's the difficult yeah. bit to get people to believe in. But it's also, you know, where we have material where if they don't handle it, we like to scratch it. So it's trying to say to them, look, you scratch that, that's got to go in the bin. That's out of your pocket at the end of the day. That's out of, some of that material is out of everybody's pocket. If you don't do that, more goes into the, you know, it's not off the bottom line, make more profit, you get more money. That's, that's how it's got to work. So it, it just is, it's just a challenge getting people to change how they've maybe worked in the past, but shouldn't have worked that way in the past anyway. But now I try and explain to them that it's your money. It's not Danny's money that you took it away. It's your own money. And it's like the machines, you know, we've got 725, 760,000 pound piece of the kits that's out in the factory. And I say, it's your, just treat it like it's your car. Mm. You know, you're driving a fork truck into it and you've got a nozzle, nozzles of 18 quid or whatever they are, chuck them on the floor. Is it all right? I don't know. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. you only need 10 nozzle bodies or, yeah, you, know, you know, not the yeah, end Yeah, I mean, it's not just on the shop floor. You know, there, might, there might be someone in sales who, you know, they, they, start, they do 8.30 till 5. They might be there two minutes to five and go, I'll finish this quote in the morning. By the time we get around to it, someone else has won that order. If they just went, well, I'll just stop four or five minutes, finish it off. Again, it's a difference. And yeah. it's just making those little, that five, 10% that if everybody did that, then they'd be better off. I suppose by people being bought into feeling that they're part of it, yeah. then you're going to get that extra yeah. bit of... Yeah. Well, that, everyone had the first bonus at Christmas. So I did that purely just to make sure it, it was real because yeah. the, the way the best way of making it real is putting some money in somebody's pocket. Yeah. So at Christmas, God, no, it wasn't that to be very nice. Seven fifty was it? I think it was tax free. So yeah. it's bad. It's in. Yeah, it's a decent touch again. Yeah, for Christmas. Yeah, it's, it's all good. You know, a yeah. lot of people don't even get thank you. Yeah. They just come in and they're just expected. Do you do an AGM like annually? Because everyone's a shareholder. Do you have like an annual general meeting? So what we start? What we start doing? So there's nothing to hide. Because you don't, I'm guessing, sorry, I'm jumping yeah. in here, but you don't have to take all that money out. It might be like, right, we've made X amount this year, so collectively, what do we want to do? Do we want to pay ourselves more, or do we want to invest in this yeah. kit? Because I'm guessing you, can't, you can probably make the decision, but realistically, you're now accountable to everyone. How it works, I mean, I sort of like, until I'm paid off, I've still got the veto on what we're buying yeah. and doing everything. So I'm, all the strategic stuff still falls at my door. Yeah. So what we sort of like a collective when we explain to everybody what we're going to do is always going to be a percentage of the money kept into the in the business mm -hmm. for buying new machines or whatever. So everyone knows what the the parameters are. So every quarter we're going to we'll do a, um, a talk to everybody about because it's in twice so they can mm -hmm. see the P and L, they can see what's gone out, how much profit we've made. I mean, we audited now, see, because the company's ass anyway, so it makes no, no difference. Mm -hmm. So, but that, again, it makes it real. When they're seeing that the overhead was weren't as good this month, you know, if we haven't sold as well, or we've had more RMAs, so uh, rejects, or we haven't bought as well as we could have bought. So there's loads of different things people can see. The carriage has gone up, we spent more on consumables. So every area of the business is, is you know, is monitored. So again, it's everyone's part of that. So everyone gets to see it. So you've got sort of like a, a top business which runs the EOT on behalf of the EOT. So they have to make the strategic decision. So it's not 
what's the best for Danny Fanson is that are we making the right decision for the EOT? So that's the group, the collective of the employees. So that's what my aim is. I can't make a decision just for the benefit of me. It has got to be for the benefit of the EOT. I think the thing, Daryl, you've said it quite, you know, people are like, well, what, why, why would you do this? You know, why, why, why would you, it just makes no sense. So where does that kind of, I'm gonna bring it down here, like that more altruistic side come from? Because you could just be quite selfish and think, I've done this, I've grafted, I've built it up. Yeah, I've got great relationships with my people, but I love that myself. I could sell this and we're already getting good offers. You're always going to be offered for this business yeah. and you could just take it. So is it purely like an altruistic thing or is it that you don't really want to sell? Like you're quite happy to go, well, actually, I'd rather stay here and do this for another 20 years and actually this works better because it's actually better for me longer term yeah. to do it this way. Because if I just sell now, yeah, happy days, but realistically, it'd be better to grow it. Yeah. Or is it more about the team and the people? To me, it's always been about a team. I've always, you know, again, I've got a lot of very good people who who work for me and have worked for me over the years. And I just think it's a really good feel and factor for everybody to be actually part of something. That, you know, you can give something back. Because, you know, I've got a lovely life, you know, nice house, I've got nice holidays, but these guys out here have done it for me. They've helped me get to where I am. I haven't done this on my own. Again, you know, you make the decisions to bring the right people in over the, over the years and build the right team. And I think they deserve something back. I don't know what you think. You've come yeah. from the outside yeah. really, so, and you've seen it. Yeah, well, I've, I've said, I, I think it's an amazing opportunity for people. They've just got to buy into to the idea and buy into the concept. and. And make it happen you know you know and I, I just think you know it's brilliant what danny and lisa have done setting setting this up and giving this you know the opportunity to people like i say you could have just kept the profits and yeah that's it you could off into yeah. sunset yeah 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 but well, you'd be bored mate after yeah five minutes. that's it yeah you would but it, it keeps me interested it keeps you know it's like i say the business is now we're at that turning point again yeah, yeah we're going to be putting a new layer of management in and again we're going to now sort of like position ourselves for the next next move, we've got a lot of going off this year. We've got a new factory being built. Um, we've got we've got automation going in there. So, you know, doubling the size of the facility we've got coming back end of this year. So it's a lot happening, and to get to that next level, we've got to be ready. So this is our sort of time now. This next three to, three to yeah. four months of getting ready for the come next year. We'll have a I think a business that can do maybe up to 15 million with a few more yeah. people. Anglo Stainless, proud sponsor of the Metal Guys Talk business. Tell us about Anglo, Peter. This is one of the accounts that you opened for Compton Group <laughs> at the start. Yeah, well, I've been dealing with Anglo prior to doing this when I was working in the metal industry. They were, they were a supplier of mine, but also a customer. So used to have a good relationship with both Steve and Mark who were there. Um, and we've worked more closely with them since we started, Compton Group. But they've got big plans. I was up with Steve recently, we've been creating some content for them, but he was talking about some of the developments that they've got there. They're a company that are known for stainless steel, hence, you know, it's in the name, Anglo Stainless. But predominantly they were stocking the fittings and the flanges and then all the ancillary products. The big news over at Anglo is they've invested now in a large new warehouse. So they're going to be stocking a lot of nominal ball pipe work, which 
helps because it means companies can come to them for full packages of material. I think, yeah, good times. I think Steve's looking at it the right way. He's spending the money. I think it's the right time to do it. So for those of you that have used Anglo, you know they're a good company, but for those of you that maybe have not heard of them in the UK or overseas, definitely a really good stockholder with, with big ranges of stock all the way up to 24-inch um, on the fittings, 16-inch um, on the pipe. Give where, it a try. They, where are they based? Are they national delivery? Yeah, yeah, do a lot. Yeah, do a lot of export as well. So, yeah, check out the website. Give them a call. Sort you out. Yeah, always a, there's always a prize as well, isn't there, with Anglo? There's always a raffle. Yeah, yeah, every every month. Yeah, every month or two. But yeah, if you want to win an iWatch, get on their social media. And I think if you place an order, it's not not every month, but most months, you place an order, you're in the raffle. So, you know, it's plenty of people I've seen who've won a new uh, iWatch 5 or whatever it is, 7. Where are we up to yeah. now on them? I don't know, but I know he's got a big tombola. Yeah, how is he? Yes, Dave. You've not seen his tombola in his no. office where he sticks the name of everyone who places an order, sticks it in, rolls it round, pulls it out, proper official. <laughs> I don't think he does it on a tombola. <laughs> <laughs> For a minute, you believe me. Oh, oh I've seen his yeah. tombola. But yeah, give him a follow online, give him an order, and you're in the raffle. <laughs> tombola. So what's the, because um, I suppose this will drop onto your, can't you all it really? So... Tell us what are you what are you spending? Why are you spending it? How are you doing it? What's the what's the plan now? Well, at the moment, if you can tell us, well, that, well yeah, 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 we can, we can tell it. Yes. Well, I suppose at the moment, if you, yeah, we we split across three different locations. So we've got the main bit, which is this one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is where we produce. Well, we're looking to produce about eight and a half million pounds through this um, facility over the next twelve months. Yeah. And then we've got a tube division with one tube cutter, 10 people. It's not quite 24-7 yet. Um, probably looking at doing about 1.6 million through there. And then we've got another facility that is more of a temporary facility, but we're building some um, balconies for a company called Sapphire. So, and that, if that goes well, could be, what, a million pounds, yeah. 1.2 million. So, you know, when you split across three, three facilities, it doesn't work well, should I say, because, you know, I'm trying to manage people across three facilities. There's, there's managers in those, lo those locations, but I don't get to them as much as I should do. We haven't got the same, maybe, standards in place as in the other two. If you have, you can't, you're not as efficient with your people. You know, we've got one tube cut. If that machine goes down, I've got a couple of people standing there, whereas if it was in this building here, I would be moving them on to a different machine so we can utilise them. Um, so going forward, we're going to have a new building built next door to this one. We'll have the lasers, the, the pressers moved over to the new building. And the reason we're doing that is when we have the new building built, we're having um, an automated material sort of storage system. So it's called Antil, but I think it's going to be called Bystore yeah. going forward. So it's like a, a Bystronic. So that's going to be connected to two of our lasers, so the two 12 kilowatt lasers. So what that means is you can put your material in and it stores your material and then it when you've got your programs in it feeds your feeds your lasers and it takes the parts off at the moment it's manual so they have to do it with forklifts and stuff so we're probably going to gain about 30 percent efficiency just through this material storage system so, so when you're doing that sorry to jump in that's like sheets of steel 
specific sizes. You CAD program knows exactly what's in there. Yeah, you, you call, call the it. material. You just, you well, just all automatically. Yeah, we do all the all the nesting outside of that. But once you've got a program sent over that, it will know where the material is. So once you select the material, it just calls it down, feeds the machine, takes the parts back off. So it's a lot more automated. So at the moment, because the machines are that quick, sometimes you have difficult to see it on the if you've got to see my hands, but we have two beds. So you put a sheet on one, goes in, starts cutting. If that is cut really quick, it comes out and the next one goes in. But this, the operator's got to take all the parts and the sheet and get a new sheet on by the time this one's finished. So if he doesn't, if he doesn't do it in time, the machine stops running yeah. because he, he hasn't gone in. So the efficiency side. Yeah, so the automated, the automated system will keep up with the machine. So it'll take it off, put it on, goes in. So Can that work 24 seven then, Kelly? Yeah. yeah. So, plus as well, we think the quality will improve from material handling perspective. That's, that is, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. 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 So, that will give us um, a benefit. So, again, that's an expensive piece of equipment. And there's a, there's a few people in the UK, not many. Though. Yeah, it's a couple. Yeah, it's what I've been uh, pleased with. Salamander, yeah. they've, had, they've had quite a big system yeah. put in place. Yeah, so... Um, the Bistronic system anyway so yeah so that that'll be in, that'll be in place two lasers connect to, to it the other two lasers will go across all the presses hopefully we'll have an automated sort of uh, powder coat paint, paint, paint plant um and then yeah so that'll be the, the new one and then in this one here we're going to move the tube laser over we'll move sort of we've got a bit of fabrication r d team that'll be in here and we'll also have space for a second tube laser so the plan will be when we need to, when we've got enough work on the single laser, single tube laser, we'll have the last second. Tube laser or seven, all right. We have the And then, 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 to be fair, I think we might just stay with the seven and just try and specialise on that area. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, it's it's early days, but that's the plan. That's the plan because just think, you know, you get up into the next level of the material size. You're handling a lot it's of it. Yeah, it's just a pain. Yeah. So I just think, you know, ah, yeah, we're good at flat laser cutting. I want to be able to be as good on the tube aspects as what we are on doing the flat. So I just think if you focus on a specific range where we can do it and do it really, really well, now I think we'll be more, we'll see better yeah. benefits from doing that. Yeah, we're probably a year to two years away from that second yeah. machine, I would say. We'll um, have one next year. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So in terms of it, it'll make it easier from a you know managing managing it because we've got two units next to each other. We can start to share the resource around. Um, the, you know, we've got a CAD person at Tube. He'll come back into the CAD team. You know, all the sales team will probably sit together. So it just makes it um, a lot a lot better, really, when you've got not so many people scattered around um, different different facilities. Yeah, it might make sense, doesn't it? Yeah. You don't want to be like the rover, do you? Well, yeah. I think the automation, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of focus on automation over the next few years. These machines are that, like Darwin just touched on, they're that quick. You can only unload them so fast, like Darwin says. You know, you, you end up having two people on the back bed. So you're just, you're just putting, chucking resource at it where, you know, it's quite a tight industry we're working. You know, so it's not as though you've got one company who's, who can, filling the boots, that sort of thing. Yeah, everyone's sort of like pitching it around the same sort of mark. So I think service is probably a key to why you probably do win more work. It's not necessarily because you're the cheapest. Can you deliver on what you're going to deliver? 
So that's what we're hoping. Yeah, we're really gearing up for this automation, aren't we, with software we're putting in. Mm. So the, the actual CAD guys will be able to run the laser from the, from the CAD office. You'll actually even operate it there. So, because the machines change the nozzles themselves, it'll know where the material is, it'll fetch the material, put it back in. So, the efficiencies, you, you'll get in that. Don't get me wrong, you need the guys there to make sure everything's put in right, but theoretically, you could run it from a CAD yeah. office if required. You do more with the same, more, more with yeah. percentage-wise. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've circled it, because automation was a thing I was about to get onto, but if we push forward maybe past your two-year kind of, or year yeah. kind of plan, how do you see the laser industry changing in the future? And when I, when I mean about that, it's not necessarily just about the automation and stuff, but you know, are there growth market sectors that you're focusing on without trying to give the game away to other people? I think most people are going to be looking at sort of like the green aspect, aren't they? You know, there's going to be a lot of stuff, electric cars, you know, there's going to be a lot of work around for HS2 if it, if it does come off, I think it, it will do. So I think they're the areas. The machines can only go so quick, like I just said. So you bring the 12 kilowatt, 15 kilowatt, you cut in the 20 kilowatt. That's all well and good, but you've still got to be able to load them. It's good for the thick end material, but it's how often are we using that? Because a lot of the thick end material is probably getting in, in the ground anyway. It's a base plate or something, so it can be cut on the plasma. So I think everyone's chasing this, how fast can we cut stuff? When realistically, what we should be doing is how efficiently can you cut it? What, it's, okay, it's okay cutting it at a thousand mil a minute when, when the machine's stood for 10 minutes, when you try and unload it. You may as well just be sort of like you're kidding yourself. Yeah, yeah. You know, you see people are earning a thousand pounds an hour. Well, actually, you're earning, you're earning it for a minute. So it's, it's sort of like a bit of vanity, really. So I think people just need to probably take a step back and think, okay, what is the most efficient way of making sure we're cutting, cutting the product? So I, I see the machines are just going to keep progressing. You are going to get a 20 kilo, you're going to get a 20. I know, I think Penta's got a 20 kilo hour. They'll still do that because they want to say, I've got the most powerful machine, but the benefit of us as a subcontract laser cut, I don't know where we'll see that benefit. So I think, you know, you're going to be talking different avenues going down, different, looking at, the automation is going to be massive, I know, but I even think the supplier of the machines are, are gearing up for that as well. You can see it, you know, the name of Sonic had an innovation house last week. I know, yeah, I was having a look at that. Yeah, yeah. I, I was down to go, but the tooth snapped, so that's because of the dentist instead. <laughs> So yeah, so, you know, obviously we're massively in bed with this one, you know, we've got a lot of kit off the, off the guys, so we always try and stay ahead of the game if we can. It's good when you have a problem though, when the Bistronic service engineer comes in, you can just say, just have a, while you're here, like, yeah. here's another cup of tea, it, yeah. just go and have another look at those other two. Yeah, just, uh, just check them over. Yeah. But no, it's, it's, it is good in one way, but, you know, when you're trying to get a price yeah. for another machine. I, I think more people, more laser cuts will be starting to expand their capabilities as well, starting to move to more of like yeah. a one-stop shop. So they have got more add-on services other than just laser cutting, I think. This podcast is sponsored by Amron Architectural. Amron Architectural are a company that I've been working with for nearly two years now, and the business has grown rapidly over that time. Um, very experienced staff, uh, very knowledgeable within the architectural interior design space. Um, the ethos of the company is to kind of inspire choice, engage uh, and work with metals and meshes of all different types. They work with classic woven meshes all the way through to bespoke profile cladding panels. 
and our, you know the experience of the guys there is I would say it's it's right up there in the um, in the UK. They've developed a full range of systems for all aspects of internal and external environments, from bespoke ceilings, gantry systems, specialised partitions to large external facade systems, and, and pretty much everything in between. Um, I think the thing that strikes me about these guys is um, they're they're interested in clients' ideas. They like to talk to clients. They like to know what's happening and develop the systems that fit with the with the trends, but also the design requirements um, of the architects in the industry and the and the clients. So, yeah, a company that definitely going places. It's great to have them as a as a sponsor of the podcast. Um, and if you're looking to create those exciting internal and external designs, then um, these are the guys to talk to. How do people get in contact with you? You know, this this is actually a bit of sales now. It's your one minute's worth. How do they contact you? And what do you want them to contact you about? We, we took a guy on last year, didn't we? The, on marketing. We, we've never really, we've been on LinkedIn and things like that. We're not, we've never employed somebody to do it. Um, so last year we made the decision that you know, we probably want to eat it a little bit more because it's probably like a normal laser cutter. We'll get the guys, we'll get on the phone or an email will come in and you, you might put, you know, you put something in one of the trade magazines, word of mouth, somebody joined you from another company, whatever it is. It's just, I just think we've really made an effort. So Daryl come to me with a, Adam Blake, who's our marketing manager. Now I, I turned around straight away and says, nah, don't even bother interviewing him. It was his background was uh, setting crews as well yeah. from the P and So anyway, Dow says no, no, no. He's, I think he's got skill set. I didn't actually know him. I was yeah. just going by his CV, CV and his application, and I just said to Dan, "Look, there's just something about this application." I said, "I think we should." And a bit like we've always, how we touched on earlier, you know, getting a fresh pair of eyes. Somebody who knows nothing mm-hmm. about laser cutting. So we had him in, didn't we? And did a brilliant interview, and he's just. Took us to the next level on LinkedIn and yeah. you know everything. You know, it really brought a different way of marketing to us, and it's probably saved us money in one way by taking this guy. Yeah, social media. Yeah, he's he's changed the website. More. He understands how everything works on the website. How yeah, many hits you get? At, you know the keywords. How you move up the the rankings. Yeah. He's done a lot more. On to LinkedIn. be fair, you guys are very. I'd say you're one of the more sort of. It's the best yeah. way of putting it. Active, active yeah, 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 yeah. compared to compared to a lot of other yeah. Of yeah. competitors. And I think that was it. It's just it, you have got to bang your drum, I suppose. You know, you know we we're here to sell. I mean, it's not being my biggest drug selling. You know, I'm not mm. booing at it, and you're lucky I'm sat here doing this. <laughs> to be fair, but I just think as you get to that next level, again, it's a bit like we're doing. You've got to put different people in different different positions because you can't be expected to do everything. As, you, as the business is growing, you can't have your marketing hat on. You can't do this. You can't do the other. You've got to have other people who are responsible for that area of the business. It's coming and done it. It's, yeah, it speaks for itself, doesn't it? The yeah, it's, it's, it's an, amazing, an amazing job. It's just, you know, and the thing is, well, we haven't really said go away and do X, Y, and Z. We've just said, come in, you're, you're going to be business development marketing. You, go, you, look, you, you look at what we've got and you come back to us with a plan of what you're going to do and how it's going to make us better. And that's what he's done, isn't it? Yeah. So, that's what you want people to do. Like when you bring people into your business, you don't want to bring them in and tell them what to do. Yeah, yeah. You want to say, look, mate, you know what you're doing. Crack yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. But and it's helped actually. It's helped the sales team because it's, it takes that focus off the sales team as well. So we're saying, oh, you know, you need to get 20 new businesses in, 20 mm. new customers of this that, and the other. So it's opened up because we're actually getting leads 
yeah, it's coming to us. So people, you know, they, they're emailing us, they're getting in touch with the website, where we never really had that before. So Adam's brought that to us. So it's just been a massive help to the guys in sales. Yeah. So we're getting to a point now where, you know, we've just employed another salesperson. We're looking at another way of doing a costing to make it a little bit quicker as well. Yeah, we're looking at a better sort of more intuitive costing package that allows us to do more quotes for with the same amount of people basically um, we've got this thing about we do we'll get back to you in two hours and yeah i'm not i'm not so sure we do and i don't like that if, if we say we're going to do something in two hours we'll do it in two hours not three days yeah so you know it's a bit it's a bit like making that doing that delivery aspect of it so it's just as you get busy you know, you've got to again we took a lot of time and finance towards streamlining the business we're not necessarily just chucking bodies at it and every seven cents what else but that's a to as a replacement so um it's for me now it's just what can we do where can we get to with the same amount of people because if we can get up to 10 11 12 million and we don't have to employ anybody else it's better for the AOT. So. so this makes people think do i need another person sat next to me to do the job i'm doing or can I do it if I like downstairs if I do an extra ten minutes sort of thing? So. Yeah. Mm, well, I think it's always if the growth outweighs the additional investment, doesn't yeah. it? Because that's it. You don't mind if you had to take on another fifty staff, but the growth. Yeah, yeah it, that, it's, it's, like, it, it's it's yeah. a no-brainer yeah. still, isn't it? But yeah, yeah, it's a business case. I think that's what I've always done is we've always put people in position ready for the next. I think that's one thing I probably if I blow my own trumpet I've done well is. And I can see the right time to, to add new people in. And the turnover don't always say that, but I know to get to that next level, I've got to get more bodies in. And a bit like when we moved to Draycott, we panicked because we had to fill people in quick. Mm. And that it, it, weren't, it wasn't always the right people came in. Talking about getting people in, I was going to, something I was going to touch on well, like with COVID and that, it was very interesting that you guys were actually recruiting through the pandemic. Yeah. You know, we, we found uh, someone for you during that period where a lot of companies typically were either making redundancies, yeah. putting people on furlough, shutting the doors, some of them. So, oh, did you have a lot of furlough? For April and May, we did. Yeah. Yeah. So, we had three new starters the week that the country shut down. So, it was like I said, I'll send them, you know, at that point, I think they could go back to the old companies. But we, we decided to keep everybody. And it was really good because I was on about the training. They had three months on the shop floor because it was all sales positions which were filled. So, we normally give the, the new sales guys a bit of time on the shop floor just to understand the, how everything works. So it's really good because they came in, there was people not here who would normally be here because we, we, I think we furloughed about two thirds of the yeah, staff for the about, first two months. Yeah, we? I think we were at about 60 people at that point. So we did furlough about 40 in the yeah. first month and then 20 of those came back in the second month, by the third month. Yeah, but the first was back on. Yeah, the only people off in the third, well, shielding. third month for this were the people shielding. Yeah. But to be fair to all the people who work through it, you know, it's a difficult time because obviously you don't know what's happening with the virus, you know, and they worked hard, didn't they? Still, yeah, you know, it was one of them, you well. know, it's a, it's a business, what do you do, what you can't do right, doing wrong sort of thing. Nobody knew what was going off. So we just made a decision and we actually did quite a lot of work towards yeah. the NHS. Yeah. We didn't look, never seen so many ventilators, but we didn't actually do any direct. It was all for the subcontractors, mm. which was... It was quite good, it helped quite a few other later cutters out, uh, some work for expertise out yeah. in Nottingham, a couple of companies up north. So, yeah, and I say we got to June, it was like, it was sort of like buckling, but everybody here was buckling, so we had to get everybody back in. 
because and that actually give some of the people a couple of like days holiday because like, they they work themselves into because yeah. the idea was to keep swapping them around as teams, but the rules kept changing, so we we couldn't do that. Yeah, because you had to do at that point. I think you had three, three weeks, weeks at three weeks at a time, so it's quite. You're trying to manage your business based on thinking, right, is my, my workload's going to go down? So how many people do I furlough? But then if it goes, if it doesn't go down, you've got all these people furloughed, but you can't bring them back because they've got to be off for three weeks. So it, it was a difficult yeah, period, it, wasn't it? Maybe it was because, again, it's like, are we better off having a team here and they're not going anywhere else? Because all they're doing is going home and going to work. Because mm -hmm. if you had different teams, because we were four and four off, you know, you're having an interchange of staff. So we just thought, as a business to try and ease the pandemic coming into FC Laser, we're better off just having, so that's what we ended up doing. So everyone, yeah. a group of us worked for two months. It was the same people all the time. So, but it worked and it did work well because everyone worked really, really well together. It, and it, let's be, it was quite difficult. I know it's nice and sunny, but I think it's probably difficult as well for the people who weren't here because you're not sort of like part of the team again, are you? You know, you can, what's going off at work, so as much as there was all sunbathing, they come out with some great suntans after the two months. Yeah. Um, I do. I think it took them a while to get back into the swing of it. Yeah, I mean, well, we have we've probably taken on about fourteen people, I think, since sort of COVID happened. Six yeah. of those apprentices. So we had six apprentices in September. So they're doing an amazing job. They are. You know, they go to college one day a week, and then when they're not here, we would sort of really feel the best. Feel, don't you? Know. Yeah, I mean, every yeah, we've taken on different people, different roles, and. Pretty much most of them, I'd say, have worked out, really. Yeah. So, um, but we have got a business. I think, yeah, we are in a position where, because we've got a bit of an R and D element to it as well, where we're trying to make garden furniture, pergolas, and all this sort of stuff. So that's we're just in the development stage, yeah. aren't we, at the moment? So that's like taking up resource and material and stuff. But it's yeah. fun though, isn't it? Talk to us about oh, yeah. these fire pits because I've had a look at them and I've got to say, I want one. Yeah. <laughs> The have had laser response on the off the back of them, but it just there wasn't something right, so we had to tweak it a little bit, didn't we? Now yeah. it's ready to go to market, so they're going to market this week. So. I think uh, if you need anyone to trial one, you know. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not your ten percent off. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think the two guys working in that team probably hate bringing when they made it, don't they? Yeah, because they come to us and go, "Go, no, it's too big, it's too high, it's too narrow, change this." So. Yeah, we just we just because what we want to do is we want to get things right. We don't want to sell. Just go, yeah, that's acceptable. We'll sell it. We want to get it right and make sure it's good quality. And we're looking at more of like higher end yeah. type stuff than just I don't know, cheaper. Yeah, like, I know what you mean. Yeah, there's no it, point. It falls apart. You're not just about like putting a of volume through for no. that. Yeah, yeah. Just we just want it, we want it basic now. We've got it. I think there's a lot to be taken from manufactured in the UK at the minute because obviously yeah, you're having a difficulty getting stuff in from abroad. And we really do think it's a good opportunity to get on there and, you know, and promote not just FC Laser or whatever, but actually what we can make in this country. Yeah, you can manufacture. Yeah. And you're right, with the apprenticeship scheme, because I was going to chat you about that a little bit earlier. Once you get to that point, and obviously the altruism that you, you're showing with what you're doing with your business, you get to that point, you're like, you want to help people? Yeah. You know, these apprentices, you're like, right, how can, not just let's get them in for, you know, they're, they're a cheaper way of having staff and things. It's almost like, well, actually, we really want to help these kids learn. Yeah. You know, and we can, they can learn in a great environment, in a business that's going places. And it's just, you know, you're just giving back. I mean, I've had a lot of people, people in the past have asked me, you know, why does, why does it take so many apprentices on? Because we always took some apprentices on either one or two 
six is the biggest intake you've had. But, you know, what happens when they want to leave? And I sort of like take pride in that. But now if somebody can leave here and I've helped them get a skill set that they can take to, as long as they're better in themselves, that's what I want them to do. So if they're going to work at Rolls-Royce or somewhere like that, I think it's a business I can take a lot out of that, really can. Well, I pride myself, but and as a business. So, but on, sec on another hand, I want them to stay. So we can train them up, but you want them to actually stay in it because they like the environment they're working in. You pay them a nice wage and they're part of the business what we build up again. You know, we've got Jack who still works here. Yeah. He's, he's a supervisor, but you know, he, he runs the second ops. So like I say, he joined as an 18 year old straight out of school. Mm. Um, I think I, well, I think as well, you know, I've worked at a bigger company. You only when you work in a big company, you only see certain elements of that company. It's very much this is your job and you might see a bit either side of it. At a smaller company, you can get involved in everything. You know, these apprentices, you know, they're running the flat laser, they're going CAD, um, they're running the tube laser, some of the sapphire balconies, so they're getting a really good good mixture. And you get to understand how a business works from almost like an inquiry all the way to paying, uh, getting paid by the customer. So It's been really interesting yeah. tonight because we sort of like set out with this plan, a bit like what I went on said earlier about when the guy walked out at that time. We didn't really have a plan for apprentices. They came in at that point and there was probably put on the machine. They went to college one day a week. College is another story. But like these guys as well, we have a proper plan. This week they're doing that, next week they're doing the other. They're going around the business and really... So three months in, it's sort of like, then you think, we're gonna swap this around actually because some people are already going, favoring so oh, two of them really like the tube and one lad really like on the mm. flat and one person and so it's sort of like evolved that in to where they're actually going to be in the business and just by giving them that three months we haven't forced them anywhere they haven't said you're going to be doing this for the rest of your days we've given them an insight in what actually the business is about and they've sort of like dropped into into position yeah, really yeah. haven't they pitching all themselves a yeah, bit. yeah yeah they, by choice instead of like just forcing them in they've got an, like Dow said they've got an understanding of how the business works but actually you know I'm sort of like tendering to go towards this aspect of it. So it's worked, it's been a, yeah. you know, we've been lucky because they are, yeah, they are, they are really good as well, the yeah. six of them. Yeah. So. No, that's the way it always used to be, didn't it? You know, 60, 70 years ago, speaks like your great grandparents and stuff, they'd do apprenticeships and if a company needed five people that were gonna take on, they might take like 40 apprentices, yeah. but they treated them all the same. And yeah. The best ones got the job, yeah. didn't they? Mm -hmm. But at least everyone had the skills to go out. Yeah. Just make sure they're not going to all your competitors. Yeah, yeah. Them yeah, like, so, yeah. They'll be they'll be catching them <laughs> on the way out. Come on, that's on up. Yeah. On the line. Oh dear. Look, last thing we uh, we normally talk about people is uh, the mistakes. Obviously you touched on, you know, you can't always be perfect. But maybe if we start with you, Daryl, mm. like throughout your career, what's been your biggest faux pas, shall we say, that's either been the most costly? Or you know the one where you've immediately, like your heart sunk and you thought, I cannot believe I've just done something so ridiculous. Mm. When I first went to work for Dan. <laughs> 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 when I first went there, I saw the order book. Yeah. <laughs> I sold it to you well then, yeah, didn't yeah. I? <laughs> Thanks. Cut, <laughs> Cut that one out. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's difficult, because I don't really, I try and not look at anything like that. I don't, I try and look at anything is, and try and just take a positive out of it. But as long as I learn something, even if it goes pear shaped, I'm happy. Oh, go on, just just humour me. Come on, you must have done something. I I, I got a good one. Go on. Then. 
I always check my emails now because oh. I sent an email to, we was actually going for some funding. And it, when we had a first bit of funding, it, it was used, uh, like a, a company used to monitor it. This is when the first round of funding came out. And this one particular, it was just hard work, really difficult to, not necessarily, the funding was easy to secure, it was just getting there, like the paperwork and everything. And we tried and tried to get this guy to come out and help us do that. So I sent this one email to my accountant. I said, I'm getting fed up of dealing with this guy. And he emailed me back. And I put something on the bottom of this email. I won't tell you what I put on there. Sent it back to the accountant. Well, he forwarded it to this guy. <laughs> so we sat there just about to have this meeting. With the guy? He, was just, he just pulled in. And I read the email trail back. And the bit was on the bottom what I'd put. I was like, oh my life. I sunk. <laughs> and he came in and he... Was he very the, professional? Very, he was very... He was really professional. He just pushed the email in front of me. He says, do you, do you still want to go for the funding? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry about that. It's like, so, but no, so I always double check my emails now when I send them out. It's one thing it's taught me. He's not that guy who lives across the road from me, is he? I don't know, is it? See, I told you about it as a funding guy, didn't I? It might be. <laughs> what did you call him? I can't tell you. I'll tell you after. <laughs> but no, it's, it's, it, that's totally one lesson in, in life to make sure you double check what you're sending out to people. Mm. I, can't, I, can't, I can't think of one. I'd probably just blanked it out. If I'd done something that bad, I'd probably just blank it out. This is why you hired him, isn't it, Dan? Yeah. He's good. Cool. Don't make mistakes. Don't make mistakes. <laughs> I do think about the stuff they don't before. Yeah, he is, a, he's a, he is a thinker, to be fair. No, more, more so than what I am. <laughs> I'm a bit more gung-go than what he is. Well, look, thanks, guys. Really appreciate you uh, spending the time with us today, especially with all the assistance with Matt's pen. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Is that eight pence? Yeah. How do you find it? Yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not something I say, it's not something that I normally do. So I've always had people I can shove in front of the camera for the, the local press that come in or something like that. I just try to keep it with the local camera. So, podcast one done. One that you weren't at, this one, Mike, but obviously you've had a listen back. What, um, what, what kind of stood out from the pod for you? Yeah, the, the wave one's in, invested in the company, you know, from the share point of view, you know, obviously getting people more brought into the business, people become more aware of chucking things away. You know, people are more inbound to turn up every day, aren't they? They're all in it together. And trying to create that kind of spirit within a business, it's important because there's no friction between commercial and operations. Everyone's Everyone feels it. It's our business, isn't it? The part of it. We could say that when we were there after we did the pod, they took us around. Daryl kind of gave us the tour, and we met most of the staff. Um, you know, and I'm out on site all the time meeting people. But there's, there was a real, real chemistry. I mean, that was 18 months ago, so I'm guessing that it's continued. But and actually, it's important to note that you know this was 18 months back that we recorded this podcast. So a lot of the things that Daryl and Danny were talking about have already happened. A lot of the investments they were talking about are in. And they're actually now further down the line that there's more investment, more development going on. So it would be interesting to get ourselves back out there and, and take another look. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed listening to this pod. Um, as we mentioned in the intro, 
podcasts are going to be coming out every week. So every Tuesday, there'll be new podcasts coming out from us. We've got 10 for this season. Um, but get in contact with us if there's things that you liked, if there's things you'd like us to talk about. We're looking to fill up season three, get another 10 podcasts sorted for that. So talk to us about it. And um, yeah, we look forward to speaking to you or you listening to us again yeah. <laughs> next week. We're on a lot of social pages now with the Metal Guys Talk Business. We've got our LinkedIn pages. Um, putting a lot of content out for our Instagram platforms, um, which are you know the Metal Magazine. We yeah. got the we got the Compton Group pages on Instagrams, TikToks. So a lot of these podcasts have been videos, whether it be short snippets, snippets should I say, of uh, of the people we've been interviewing. Thanks to the sponsors, the UK Metal Expo, Anglo, and Amron Architectural. And um, yeah, we look forward to getting these out as uh, over the coming weeks and get season two up and running. See you next week. See you next week.